invite all of you all to stand and sing this out with everybody. How's everyone doing tonight? How's everyone doing tonight? Good, good, good. I will sing this out with us.
so we gotta rock a little bit, okay? Can we do that? Can we have some fun? Alright, so for the next part, we gotta lean into the beat a little bit. Can we do that? Okay, there we go. There we go. Can we do that? Lean into the beat. Ready? I've never been so free, caught in your song this is a this is a new one but it's a lot of fun that's a good thing right y'all gonna have some fun with this all right this one gets a little funky okay so i just told y'all to rock with it the last time right so for this time you gotta really rock with it okay okay all right here we go all right
come on. You, man, Jalen, you are such a gift to our community. I love you, man. Give this guy a hand. This whole team. So good. Well, welcome. We are so grateful here. Don't sit down yet. I really want this to just continue. So why don't you just greet someone next to you and give them something that will give rejoicing in their eyes. Say something. Do something. Give them a hug. Good evening. We are so excited that you're here. Uh, good evening. And uh, we are going to receive offerings. Ushers, if you are ready, you can, you can prepare for that. We have a special guest tonight, uh, Dave Gibbons. I'm going to tell a little bit about that in a second. I'm excited that he is going to be here sharing what God has on his heart and been developing in his heart over a long period of time, a lot of years. Uh, but yeah, we're going to receive our offering. Now, if you come prepared to give, awesome. Thank you. If you're brand new, welcome. Uh, this does not have to be your moment. If you want this to be your moment, we give because it's an act of worship, saying, thank you, Lord, for what you've given us. We can give you back. And so it's part of our worship. We just continue doing that. But Dave, I, there are times in your life where you read a book or you see something and it absolutely ignites your heart. How many of you have done that? Where you've read a book, look at you. You've read something, you've seen something, you've heard someone speak. And all of a sudden, there's a part of your heart that starts to leap out of your chest. So uh, uh, several months ago, years ago, I read a book uh, called Monkey and the Fish. Uh, I remember reading that book, but uh, I remember even more vividly this past year reading a book called Small Cloud Rising. And I read this book, Small Cloud Rising, and there were times when I had tears in my eyes reading this book. And Don Anderson, who is our global director, uh, I went into his office the next day and I sat in his office and I said, are you kidding me? You've been holding back. You know this guy. You know this church, New Song in California. You know this pastor. I went on the website last night. I watched him speak. I read his book. I'm in tears. How could you have been holding him back all these years and not telling me? I was mad at Don. I was going to take him down. And that, and that just started a whole trek for me with Dave Gibbons. I, I read his next book and just been on this trek. And we found out he was coming in this week. And so we're just like, would you please come and speak? So I want you to welcome Dave Gibbons. Over the last uh, couple days, a small group of us have been able to have private time with you in a yeah. small setting. Mm -hmm. And I just want to tell you, it, I'm not kidding you. You have blessed my heart, uh, especially yesterday. And when you just spoke truth into me based off of scripture, you gave me two scriptures to hang on. So I just want to say thank you. And so I'm going to pray and then you're off to do what you're designed to do. Thanks, brother. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this man. Thank you for the vision you birthed in his heart. Thank you for the way you've designed each person in this room uniquely to do unique work in the kingdom. Father, let us never compare, never let us compete, but let us tonight see a unique wiring in us through this man. And so speak boldly through him. Let his words be your words. Lead him in your way everlasting. Amen. Thank you. Let's all stand together and read Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened in me here has helped to spread the good news 
For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful for me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as I pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ, as I've been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn in between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which will be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. All right, you may be seated. Come on. You're ready. I had a child. Um, I have four of them. And the first one was a girl. And after that, in our culture, the Asian culture in particular, it's important to have some male babies once in a while. And so everybody around me was praying that I would have a male child. I had some people who were from more more charismatic persuasion, and they were kind of like predicting some things as they were praying to God. And they said, oh, you know what? We we took this to God. And this is my in-laws. They said, you're going to have a boy. And so, man, I was ready to have our boy. Because, you know, I always had dreamt of throwing the football with them, playing baseball, you know, just having some good times with my son. So finally the day came from the second delivery of my child. Again, the first one was a girl. second one was there. My wife's on the table, and we're waiting there for the baby to come. She got the epidural, and then everything was good. <laughs> and as she got the epidural, she's chilling. And then a couple more hours later, the Dr. Smith Wason looks at me. And our OBGYN, she said, it's time. You, you want to help deliver the child? And I said, oh, yeah. And she goes, okay, now come on in. I want the baby head's crown. I'm going to pull the shoulders out a little bit. And then you take your two index fingers and put them in the armpits and go ahead and pull the baby out. Now, be careful. They're really slippery. And so the, the, you know, the head came out. I got in my old football position like this. <laughs> and then she pulled the shoulders out. I put my index fingers into the armpits. And I pull the baby out, and like Lion King, <laughs> it's a boy. I said, it's a boy, Becca, my wife, it's a boy. And then Dr. Smith Wason said, no. <laughs> it's actually a girl, and that's called an umbilical cord. <laughs> oh, man. You know, sometimes things aren't quite the way they appear to be. You know, you're caught up in a moment, and you thought it was going to be really good, but maybe it went the opposite direction. Have you ever felt that way with the Christian life? 
It's like, God, I thought everything's supposed to be like really good. I mean, supposed to be peaceful, joyful, angels around me. I'm feeling your presence. I'm singing worship songs. But it doesn't feel that way right now. In fact, I feel kind of stuck. I feel like I'm boxed in. I feel like I can't get out. And I don't really feel I can move sometimes. Why do you have me in this situation, this relationship? I want out. And God, this job, by the way, I really can't stand it. Remember when I was younger, you promised me some things and you're not coming through. God, why am I in this box? When I looked at Paul in this situation, it really started speaking to me because I've been looking at some parallel lives, even the Old Testament, that Paul uh, really is more of a New Testament version of. And it's people that just go through hardship and a lot of struggle. And you find commonly this, is, this happens with anybody that God really is going to elevate and use in a culture. So if you're feeling like a little boxed in and feel a little bit like you're in chains, you're in good company. When you think about Paul here, there's several things you need to note. And if you look at the first verse, it's like 14 through about 15. You notice right away that Paul is literally, he's in prison. He's in chains. And he's writing a letter to a group of friends in Philippi. It's across the sea. And in this loving letter, he's just telling them, I'm in prison and I'm in this box. And not only am I in this box, I am in chains with the palace guards. Some commentators say literally that he was chained physically to a person. You know, you're, you're feeling sorry for Paul, right? I would feel sorry for the, 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 the guards themselves because they had to listen to Paul. I mean, they had to listen to Paul pray to God. I mean, they're seeing stuff happening. He's, they're with a preacher like 24-7. How would you like that? And so Paul's there like a chain to this guards. And he says, I'm chained. I'm held up. So that's not good, right? First you're in the box. You're closed in. And then you're physically limited, and you are tied to a person you don't want to be with. Sound familiar with anybody here? (laughs) And as you're tied with someone you don't really want to be with, then it gets worse. What happens? Well, as it goes on, if you know the story, he's waiting to, to go to trial. And he's going to have to stand before Caesar to find out about his situation, what's going to happen with him. And then if you really know the story, it goes beyond Caesar. Eventually, he's going to have to see the emperor, Nero. You know Nero? Nero's a guy that was really self-centered, a narcissist. He was also very wicked. And in fact, he hated Christians. Historians tell us that they would take these Christians that he could not stand. He would kill them. He would impale them, literally put put a stick through their bodies. He would cut off their heads. But he'd take people's bodies, the Christians' bodies, and he'd use them as, like, street lamps. He would start them aflame on the streets. That's how much he hated Christians. So Paul's in prison, in a box. He's chained with a person maybe he doesn't want to be with. And then he has this impending doom that's ahead before Caesar and then Nero. And then he says, What? I choose to rejoice. That's crazy. How does he do that? I mean, what type of state is he in to be able to figure that one out? So as I diagnosed this, you know, they talked to me about this last night. And, you know, uh, Danny said, hey, check out this passage. You know, maybe speak on this. So last night I went home. I went in bed and I just started going over this text. I go, whoa. This is really powerful here. There's a couple key elements that will help us how to live life. 
you know, whether you're a student, you're, you know, you're someone who's not liking your situation, you're stuck in a relationship that you're having struggles with, but you know you're supposed to be there, what do you do? There's at least four things you can think about, all right, that will help you out. Number one, the best thing I see right from the get-go is that Paul, he had a perspective that these chains were going to help everybody out. He says, in fact, it's going to help you. It's going to cause you to become more bold, become more confident. So he had God's perspective. Whenever you're in prison, you know, whenever you feel bound up, just try this out sometimes. Say, God, give me your eyes. Help me to see what you're seeing. Help me to smell what you're smelling. Because literally God will give you his eyes for people. The person that seems cantankerous to you, that seems like an ogre, you can't stand them. You look at them and you get these weird vibes to your body. You want to run away. God can cause you to look at them and you're going to see a child in them. And your heart may gravitate towards them. God can change your eyes. He changed Paul's eyes. And you'll find this commonly through all the Bible that heroes, the heroes specifically, even in Hebrews chapter 11, the reason why they could withstand such great trial and tribulation was because they says, the Bible says this, they saw the promise that was before them consistently. And that's why they were the heroes of the faith. They had a perspective that was beyond the temporal. They saw beyond the material. That's another level of perspective. So we ask God for that. Paul had that. The second thing he had was he chose joy. And see, it's a choice. You know, because you don't have a choice when you're in prison or you're in pain. You're you're in boxes. You're put in situations that you didn't want to be in. So what do you do about it? you just complain the whole time? Well, what do you do? Well, Paul, he says, I'm going to choose joy. He says, I choose, I will rejoice. Say that with me. I will rejoice. One more time. I will rejoice. You can choose joy. This is like this uh, like Yoda-like state where you have like Nelson Mandela and he's, has, he's in the state of Robbins Island. And Robbins Island was this little place and they put him in these small cells if you see photographs of Nelson Mandela's cell. Well, you know what Nelson Mandela called that place and all the people he worked with in that prison? They didn't call Robbins Island prison. They changed the name to Robbins Island University. Nelson Mandela started teaching Shakespeare, theology, history, to all the prisoners. He chose joy. You see, you can change the dynamic of any environment you work in. Just by your very presence, if you truly believe you're made in the image of God, then that means you have light emanating from you. The reflection of God is this bursting from your body in the spiritual realms when you walk into a space. Do you carry that in your presence? Do you walk with that type of courage? You see, you choose joy. You change the atmosphere and that, instead of letting that atmosphere change you. Paul chose it. And you see this consistently through all the leaders throughout the Bible. When I kept looking at this, I said, what else is here? And it got deeper. He not only chose joy, but it says in verse 19, he brings this out. He says, pray for me. And he says, the spirit of Christ helps me. For my deliverance. When I looked at this up, the word um, helps actually could be translated resources me. So he, he gives you all the things you really need. It's right there in your hand. A lot of times you're looking at what you don't have. Look around you. You may have something, you know, that you didn't check out recently. It may be a person and maybe some bit of knowledge, a book that you didn't look at recently. But look around you. Usually it's right near you. He's, he said, I 
pray for me. There's for some resources that can help me. And then he says, what else? He says, the spirit of Christ helps me for what? My deliverance. This is not like his eternal salvation. That's not the deliverance. Literally, it's, it means pray for me for my, for my triumph. For it's near. It's for my victory. So he says, pray that the spirit will cause me to get to that place of triumph. So what's that saying? Well, any man of God, even the Old Testament or woman of God, they leaned into the spirit. You see, without the spirit of God, you just can't make it. In fact, if you look later in the passage, in about 22 or 23, it says, he says, living to him is actually Christ, right? You know, when you think about your living, how would you define, like, life yourself? Like, what is, like, the best life of all? Is it, would you say, Christ? Or would you say, well, when I do this or when I have this? He says it's Christ. So he ties these concepts together. He says it's the spirit that's going to help deliver me to bring me to a state of triumph. And then it's Christ who's living within me. And so when we look at the current day, you know, we're post-New Testament, but we're, what's, what's the state of God around us? Well, he's not around us, he's in us. So the Jesus is reflected through the spirit who's, who's in our bodies. He's living in us. He says, pray that I can resource this so that I can have victory. That tells me a lot. You see, it's not about our strategies. It's not simply about your perspective. You have to actually lean into the Holy Spirit. We have one people that, person that believes in the Holy Spirit. Now, what I guess is that, you know, I'm sure you're a church here, right? And, and you believe in the Trinity. I'm sure once in a while you close a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, and... Oh, Holy Spirit. Okay, so here's the question for you. If he's really real, what the heck are you doing with him? Well, that's the, hopefully we'll do that, but do we do that all the time? When do you acknowledge him? I mean, if he's in your body, how are you leaning into that source? Because he's infinite power. He's infinite wisdom. He's infinite sight and perspective. He's a supply of energy that I call for us that know Jesus an unfair advantage. So whether you're a consultant, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a business person, you have an unfair advantage if you can tap into it. So that's why sometimes you're just striving, you're so stressed out, filled with anxiety, worrying about your life, but you forgot you have the unfair advantage. What are you doing with the Holy Spirit? You see, this changed the game for me because I'm typically this guy that I'm always forecasting future. I just love going to cities around the world. I can stay there for months or years. I travel frequently, and I just love dropping in, trying to sense what's happening there. And so I can figure out, like, hey, this is the chaos. These are the problems. I think we need to go this direction. It's just stuff I enjoy to do. So I'm a strategist. But at the end of the day, I've realized now that I'm a little bit older. That's more than man's strategies. It's more than your business plan. In fact, if you look at some TED Talks, they talk about the factors of successful companies. And so they'll list companies like Netflix or Uber, you know, or Airbnb. And they, they list, you know, these are the things that, uh, reasons why companies are typically successful. They'll say they're successful because maybe of strategy or vision or values or the executive team or they had financing. But you know what they say from all the studies? The number one reason why a company succeeds. Timing. 
timing. You see, if you really think about it, if you're honest as a successful business person, you didn't get there by yourself. It was something, an X factor, that helped you to achieve where you are, an elevation. And I would call that the Spirit of God. And if we can lean into that stream of the Spirit of God, it's already flowing. He's already working in and around us. That he'll carry us to places that to us will become like Narnia. So every day, can you imagine that you're going into the wardrobe, you're going to the closet, and whoa, that God wants to unveil to you like his world. But what happens, you get locked up, and all you see is the bars. You just see the one you're chained to, and you forgot who's in you. So what happens is this, is man, I, I was, uh, you know, again, I'm the normal, I went to a seminary that's all about exegesis. You know, I went to graduate, you know, undergrad and uh, graduate school, four years, got my master theology degree, Hebrew, Greek. So I know how to exegete and break it down. I remember exegeting, breaking down the Holy Spirit from a theological perspective. But it was in my head. And then when, what I noticed is my son and daughter, um, I have four kids again, my, you know, my middle, the two and the three, um, you know, they had little struggles. And they were popular kids. You know, I tell people, you know, my wife's Caucasian. You know, I'm Korean, Japanese a little bit, a little bit Chinese. When you get like a white person and Asian together, something beautiful happens. I don't know what happens. <laughs> Those kids look really good for some reason. They, they look really good. So my kids were just really popular kids. <laughs> and so, uh, so, you know, they're popular. Not only because they're good looking, I think, you know, it represents my wife's side. But they're, you know, good-looking kids. They're a popular high school. My son's 6'3", football player, you know, good-looking dude. You know, big feet, though. And, uh, you know, and my, my daughter's a beautiful girl. And, they're, you know, they're popular kids. My daughter started drinking with the party crowd. And she got DUI. And then my son, he started taking drugs because this is a common thing. It's party time. And in, in our area of Southern Cal, it's just everybody's taking party drugs. So I saw something there because they had been raised in New Song, our church. And to me, it was, it's a cool church. You know, we're one of the youngest churches in America consistently for the last 20 plus years. It's always grown, done good stuff. They had the best speakers, the best youth, youth programs, camps. But my own kids, they weren't fired up. Like they thought what was more exciting was like the drugs or the party than God. And that kind of captured me for a moment. I said, that's something wrong with the way we're maybe teaching our kids that they really think this is better than God. And so it re- really caused me to look at the whole programming of New Song and what we're doing and the strategies and everything. So the, for the last 10 years, I've been diving deep into church because I'm all about building churches, multi-sites. I work with my buddies are, are in these church type of churches. But I was looking at, I said, what are we actually creating? Look at the next generation. Do they want to come to this? Do millennials want to come? The Z generation? Are they getting pumped up? They want to come to a service on Sunday or whenever? I said, my, my own kids don't want to. So I said, I told my kids, hey, why don't you guys check out this place in Hawaii? There's a camp, and they, they really talk about the Spirit of God. And my kids aren't used to that type of thing, where our church, we thought we, you were really charismatic if you kind of put your hands up like this. I said, oh, dude, they're really losing it right there, you know. A <laughs> little emotional. Woo, feelers, feelers. 
And so, you know, I was just thinking about, I, so I said, hey, this one, they're a little more cool, you know, a lot of bohemian-looking kids, kids from around the world, you could check it out, and they were going to be really good. So both my kids went, and my first one, Kara, she went, and she said, she saw all these, like, 500 young people, like, from their 20s to, like, you know, late 20s, and they're all in there, they're singing, they're dancing, they're jumping up and down, raising their hands. So here are their cool kids, and they're raising their hands, and they're singing and uh, then she saw how they were really just excited about Jesus. And she goes, why am I not that excited? Tonight? Why am I so embarrassed to maybe even lift my hands up? I'm really self-aware about that. A little bit maybe too much. And then suddenly she said she heard a voice. She said she heard Psalm 40. And she said, no, not that. Because that's what you told my dad. <laughs> you know, that, that's why we started the church new song, Psalm 40. And, and then she read through it. And she said she heard, you know, the voice again, I took your feet from the muddy clay and I placed you upon a rock. I've given you a new song. And then she said she just lost it. She just started crying. She felt so overwhelmed by the spirit of God. This is my daughter who, again, in, in her, in her uh, clique, she's not, whatever, she would never do this. She's very self-aware of her, what she's doing. And so she's on the ground, she's sobbing. She said a, a, a woman comes by, a young lady from Newport Beach, she's probably 20 years old, and she saw Karis, and they had recently met, just like talked a couple conversations. And she said, Karis, hey, can I just pray for you? And Karis says, yeah, go ahead. And she puts her hand on Karis, and she starts praying for Karis, and she says amen. And she goes, Karis, I think God told me something about you. Karis goes, what? You had mud all over your body, and God washed you completely clean. He's placed your feet on a rock. He's giving you a new song. My daughter's never been the same. My 26-year-old daughter, Karis, she can literally, and I've taken her around the world, she can speak to thousands, and she's unafraid. Whereas before, she'd be really timid. Just check her out. Go to my Facebook page. You'll see her story. She just put it out this past week. She goes through her whole story of eating disorders, her own, her own struggle. What 20-something would do that publicly if she doesn't know the spirit of God? My son, big football player, he decides to go to check it out. Sees what happened with my sister, Karis. He goes to a place called Kathmandu, Nepal. And we're just praying, my wife and I, we're just praying, God, would you please, you know, please take him out of the prison he's in. He's bound by all this stuff. He needs to experience your spirit. So anyways, we get a call about a week into it, and Luke's on the phone, and my wife and I are in bed, and we put on speaker. Hey, Dad and Mom, I'm in Nepal. Can you pray for me? And my wife and I look at us, look, he's asking us to pray for him. And he goes, oh. What can we pray for you for, son? Uh, well, you know, Dad, there's a, like a lot of people who can't walk very well. They have, they have canes and stuff. And uh, can you pray that we could see them healed? And they, oh, by the way, Dad, there's a lot of dead people. Obviously, they just lay around here, it seems. And they also, some of them, they don't know this, but out in the outskirts of the city, they'll sacrifice people. They burn them up, Dad. Can you pray that, hey, some of these dead people, that we could maybe raise them from the dead? <laughs> I go, What? I said that privately. I didn't want to discourage him with my wife. I looked at each other and said, okay, yeah. Yeah, son. But then we hung up the phone and go, whoa. That kid has some faith. So anyways, we, I started praying for him. 
because, you know, you hear these things. You hear like it happens in Africa with other people maybe, or could it really happen? We get a call a week later. Dad, you won't believe it. There's this old guy. He, he had this cane every day. We saw him walk on the street, so we decided we'd pray for him. Dad, am I kidding you? What happened is he threw away the cane and he started dancing in the streets. And Dad, it doesn't stop there. I was walking along and there was this man that had fallen. All his friends had gathered around him. There's a doctor there. He said, I was going to walk away, but I remember what we talked about, that you were going to pray for me. So I felt like there was this magnet drawing me back to this man who had died. And he looked at him, the friend, and said, hey, what did he die of? And the man said, he died of toxic alcohol syndrome. And Luke looked at him and said with boldness, well, did you, would you mind if I just pray for him? And my son laid his hands on this man. And as he said, in the name of Jesus, amen. My son said, the man went, <gasps> and looked at, him, at Luke right in the face, face to face. And then he started speaking 10 languages of the world because they said he was demonized. A witch doctor was chanting in the background. This is my introvert son, who I know would never talk like this. And he's experiencing a resurrection from the dead. So anyways, I'm thinking, okay, maybe this Holy Spirit stuff is kind of real. <laughs> um, so maybe there's more to it. But I, I kind of was always a little bit of allergic reaction to it. Again, I'm from a typical evangelical stream church, pretty conservative. Again, we don't raise our hands very much. We sing nice hill songs and elevation music. You know, we're doing all the good stuff. So that's where we feel good. We dance around once in a while with, you know, whoever. But that's it. I get chills when I hear a sermon once in a while or music, but, you know, and once in a while an answer to prayer. So I said, ah, okay. So I then invite this guy who's known, you know, to be spirit a little bit. And, I, and he knows our church. So he's, I say, hey, calm down. You know, you're at our church. You know, just so you know, we're not like when you're in China or Asia. And he, and he spoke to like 100,000 young people. Literally, people be running towards Jesus, okay? So I said, hey, our, our church is a lot more chill than that. And so anyways, he started speaking to our congregation. We had a few thousand at that time, but that service had like a thousand. And he was speaking, elo waxing eloquently. And then he said, okay, it's time for the invitation. He said, uh, would anybody like to come forward? And then he goes, Dave. And he whispered to me, and there's an audience, a thousand people there. And he whispered, hey, my arm, Dave, it hurts, man. Can you take over the invitation? I don't know what something happened like to my left arm right now. It feels like it's broken. He goes, can you take over? I go, yeah. So I'm about to pass him. As he's going down, I'm coming up to the stage. Then he goes, oh, Dave, he stops me. I think I know what it is. Someone's in the audience. They have a problem with their arm. Um, I think if I pray for them and ask, uh, they may get healed. It may help your whole church out. Would you mind if I pray? I said, dude. I said, you know what? I get, hey, our church isn't very charismatic, you know? I said, nothing kooky or spooky, man. Seriously. <laughs> nothing kooky or spooky. I said, we, I go, if you do this, I said, you got to promise me. And everybody's looking at us, by the way. We're whispering to each other. I said, I said, don't do anything kooky or spooky. Promise me. He goes, yeah, I promise. I said, okay, cool. Then just go up and try it, okay? So he goes up there and says, okay, does anybody have a problem, like, with their left arm? Would you raise your right hand? And one guy in the front row goes, Woo! and he was a chef. So I knew he was a legitimate person. He wasn't like a plant. 
And so he was right there. He had been in my house. He goes, me? He goes, okay. So I stand. Everybody's watching. He goes, okay, what's like your pain? One to ten. The guy goes, like a nine. He goes, okay, pretty bad. He goes, I'm not going to be weird. All I'm going to do is pray real quick and just ask God to heal you. He says, okay. So he just puts his hand on and says, in the name of Jesus, we pray that God will heal your arm. Amen. Tell me how your arm feels. He goes, just kind of move it. I watched this guy's face. He went, okay. He said, I want you to move it like wildly because something happened. Huh? He goes, just move it like wildly. And he went, the pain's gone, he said. The pain's gone. It's like, a, hmm, my daughter, my son, this guy, this crazy guy that comes into my church. Is God trying to tell me something about the spirit that Paul was experiencing? Maybe. So I'm sitting on Monday, two weeks later. And Monday, by the way, for a pastor, is like our special day. <laughs> Sundays are really busy. You want to kind of chill. That's our day off, man. So don't bother us on Mondays. <laughs> we're, on, we're, on, we're there at Monday. I'm there in yogurt land. And, you know, yogurt land... It's my, it's my place, man. And I'm an introvert. I know it looks like I'm an extrovert now, but, you know, but I, I have to pump myself up, do a lot of self-talk to come up here. But I'm an introvert, so I love being by myself. So on Mondays, man, it was my chill time. I'm going to my favorite place, the yogurt land. And so I'm eating, you know, I got my favorite yogurt stuff. You know, I put a little nuts on my, you know, normal yogurt. And, you know, just nuts. And once in a while, I put a little bit of peanut butter or something on it. And I'm just chilling, eating by myself at a little table. When this guy comes walking in that was there that, you know, was healing that one person. And he goes, Dave, I can't believe I'm seeing you. You know, I've been praying for you, man. I've been praying for you because you got like these gifts, I think. And uh, I want them released like in your life. Would you mind if I pray for you? All right. Yeah. (laughs) Sure, man. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I'm an introvert. I want to chill. He's entering my space. I had to say yes. I'm a pastor. And so he, he goes, come on, let's go outside. And so we go outside. I think he's going to take me to a little private space away from the crowds. But there were literally at this time at Yogurt Lamb was this long line. He takes me right next to the line. And he does the charismatic thing this time. He puts his hand on my head. And he starts pumping it. And it's getting worse because he's getting really loud. As he's praying for me. And everybody's looking at me. And now as he's getting loud and pumping my head, he's spitting. And I'm a germaphobe. I'm feeling spray on my face. And I'm, I'm really getting grossed out. I'm getting sick. Because I can't stand spit on my face. You ever have people do that when they talk to you? They accidentally fl- they let one fly and it hits you? So I'm getting pumped, spits on my face. I'm embarrassed. Everybody's looking at me. I don't even hear what this guy's saying, man. I'm so focused on, like, how embarrassed I am and how gross the spit is on my face. And then I hear a voice, and I don't hear voices often, but I heard this voice. Oh, Dave, you care more about what people think than receiving my power. I go, whoa. My head's still being pumped. (laughs) He doesn't know what's going on in my head and what I'm hearing. And I said to God, I said, but I can't do it like him. 
There's no way I could do it like that. And now I'm starting to cry as I'm saying this. And God then says, hey, you don't have to. You know my Holy Spirit? He's like the introvert of the three of us. He's called a comforter. He's the guide. He's the one that hides behind the curtain, his arms pointing to the Jesus and the Father in the main stage. I said, oh, that's right. The Holy Spirit's that way. Then I said, if that's true, I want all of it. So, you know, the reason why I came here tonight was I felt Kensington's a really key church. Um, I've known your pastor, Steve, for a while. I spoke at a conference here about eight years ago with some leaders. And I'm with your leadership now in some private meetings, and we'll be again next week and then a couple weeks from now again. And I know something's stirring here. And I know no matter what strategy we talk about in the future, and I think there's going to be some good strategies that the church is not just the pastors and missionaries, but everyone sitting here and beyond, we have to actually start to experience the Holy Spirit. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be kooky. It could be what I call naturally supernatural. Can you imagine a day if literally you go to sleep at night and he starts to give you visions and dreams? Because he says that in Joel chapter 2. He says in the end times that young and old will experience that. So it's not just for the youthful ones like the people who are young at age. It's for the older ones, too. It says, you'll get them, too. Can you imagine that if every day, literally, you wake up and you're going, Woo! Man, Jesus, where are you taking me? Holy Spirit, hey, what am I going to experience? And what happens is you really feel then life's like an adventure. So that's why when Paul's in prison, he's bound, he's chained. Nero's ahead. He's going to have to see the emperor who's impaling the Christians, cutting their heads off, light them on fire on the streets. He said, hey, pray for me, this Holy Spirit. He's our, our resources, right? He's going to come to our deliverance, and he's the one that's going to give us triumph and victory. So, man, you got to pray for me that man, I experience that spirit. I need that to live here. And boy, did he live and then as I thought about because I just went off a text with uh, my church at New Song this past Sunday. I've been looking at the life of Joseph. And it's funny that, you know, Danny and these guys asked me to speak on this tonight. Because the same theme happened in the Old Testament. Like thousands of years earlier. Where Joseph goes through all this horrendous stuff in prison. His brothers betray him. He's beat up. He's sold into human, tra- he's, he's human traffic by his own brothers. He's betrayed by his family. He's betrayed by systemic power. It's like everything's against him. But then he interprets those two guys' dreams. And then Pharaoh hears about that and asks him, the Pharaoh's the king of the land, and says, hey, bring that guy. And then uh, Joseph interprets his dream. And then Pharaoh lifts him up. Two things I notice about that. Number one is, for for Joseph's dreams to happen, those crazy dreams as a 17-year-old in Genesis 37, for those dreams to be realized. The only way it happened is when he interpreted other people's dreams. It's when he took a position and it wasn't about his dream first, it was about other people's dreams. He started serving other people wherever he was. He was in prison and he's being faithful as a dreamer, now helping other people's dreams. 
God saw that. He learned what he had to learn in prison. And then that's when the Pharaoh elevated him. But it was two years later. It wasn't, it wasn't fast. Like, like Paul. It was like two years for Paul. Same thing. You see, whenever you're in prison, it's going to be longer than you want it to be. It's going to be more painful than you want it to be. You're going to say, God, get me out of here. And God says, no, you've got, you got to change. Graduate school is, okay, you're not getting me out of here. What do you want? Have your way in me. You got my attention. And then Spirit of God, help me. And then the second thing I noticed about Joseph, same as Paul. You know what Pharaoh says about him in Genesis chapter 41? This is what he said. Obviously, Joseph is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is Pharaoh. Ob- like, obviously, he is filled with the Spirit. Come on, tell me this. When you go to work and you're walking by your fellow employees, obviously, <laughs> filled with the Spirit. When you're at home, when you're with your kids, your kids go, whoa, obviously filled with the Spirit. You see, the world, if you want to see a change, they're probably not going to come to church, most people. You know how they're going to come to Jesus? It's when you're in prison and you're in chain with them at the workplace or you're, you're going through the crap everybody else is going through in the city. But they see something different how you're acting. Obviously. You're filled with the Spirit. There's something different about you. Can I have that energy? So you know what I thought we'd do tonight? I just want to pray for you. But I want you to make a commitment with me. Because it doesn't have to take a lot. It doesn't have to be the whole church. But just if a few of you start to get hold of this, it would be like a wildfire. You don't have to be weird or goofy. You don't have to be like the people you see on TV. You don't have to wear white suits or puff out your hair. (laughs) All you got to do is say, yeah. You're in me, Holy Spirit. So start giving me visions and dreams. Whatever you have for me, I want all of it. And start seeking him. He'll speak to you through the word. He'll speak to you the dreams and visions. You may get pictures. You may get a motion picture. My daughter will see like a motion picture of stuff. Crazy stuff. But if it's really true that the Holy Spirit's in us, my guess is it's more than a prayer once a week. As he wants to live and dance with us every day. So if you would like to be activated in this, man, I would love for you to commit towards this. I'm going to pray that you'd be made alive in the Holy Spirit, that you would feel this and start to be aware of his presence. Because it's something like this. Oftentimes you're driving down the road and you don't see a building. Then one day you, you look at it and go, hey, do you see that? And your wife goes, well, it's been there like for 10 years. It's because your eyes were paying attention to this. You didn't see this. All we're doing today is, hey, the Spirit. That's what carried Paul through it all. Christ living in him. So if you want to commit to that, I would love for you to pray with me that you would be awakened to the power of the Holy Spirit in your life today and that you'd obviously be filled with his Spirit. If you want that, would you stand right now? And just hold out your hands. You don't have to go like this. You can just go like this. If you want to, you can, but you can just go like that. Be calm. However you feel, but make it free. Just be free. Just be free. And just feel the power of his energy now. It's not just a new age thing, man. You don't, let them cap, don't let our friends capture that. We've got an energy that's unfair. It's a, the energy above all their energies. Let's pray this prayer where you're, where you're standing. Say, Holy Spirit. 
Soak every cell of my body with your love. Every part of me says yes to you. Activate your power in my life. Help me to see you in my life and everywhere I go. And then I want you to pray right now. If you have any sickness that literally you ask God to heal you, and I want to pray for that too. God, if there's anybody that just needs healing, we know it's not a first century thing, but that your spirit is the same spirit that was in the first century that you could heal today. So just heal. Anybody with cancer here and listening online, we pray that cancers could be healed. If that's your will, Lord, just do that. Somebody with a problem that they can't move something in their bodies, Lord, heal that up. Any anxiety, nervousness, Lord, take that away. Take the stress and burdens away. So, Father, thank you for each person here. Thank you for how they're open to you. We pray that they would feel your power now in every day of their life. Literally, God, as they go to sleep, may they feel your warm embrace. May they feel like you're holding them, that they don't have to stress out, that they can actually have really good sleep, that they can rest in your arms. Let them see and visualize that to be true, not something that's a fairy tale. And God, help them to also know that it's not a fairy tale, the Narnia story, that that's actually real life that they can walk into the wardrobe every morning and they can experience an adventure, that life wasn't meant to be just a prison, the same old, same old, where we feel chained to the same old. But it's meant to be a, a life of joy, and we choose that today. We choose joy, not an anemic Christian life. We choose joy and the wildness of your spirit. So give us those wild eyes again when we were kids, like when we were kids. Bring back the magic of when we first experienced you and take it to the next level. We want all of you, Lord. So the day we die and see you face to face, we want that, that moment when we do transition to be like it's a normal transition. So God, help us experience your power now. Because you said, on earth as it is in heaven, so we can experience your kingdom now. So we, we, we declare that right now together as a family, that your kingdom's now on this earth that we can touch and feel and experience. So we want it, Lord, for our families, for ourselves, for our companies, for our nation and the nations. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen.
the way he knows he can. Just give him your all.
Isn't God good? Come on, you can give it up for God a little harder than that. Isn't God good? We got one more song tonight. And I just want to rejoice in this place. Can we do a little bit of that? Can we talk about how good God is? Can we give God praise for just how good he is? Well, y'all not convincing me. Can we give God praise for just how good he is? All right.
Awesome. All right, it's so good. Hey, give it up for Dave Gibbons again. Look, thank you. Honestly, what a blessing you are. And I want to remind you something. Listen, what I, I'm so moved by you is this. And I've gotten two days of this. Each one of us is designed differently. So when you have that image of like, you know, like this, I'm never going to do that either. There's no way. That is not me. But Lou, I can look in your eyes and see Christ in you, right? It's hard to see it, but I can see it. I'm teasing you. No, but I can you it my own way. And I want you to understand something tonight. When you go to sleep, you just ask the Lord, give me visions and dreams. Speak to me. In a unique way, God is going to use you in the most powerful way imaginable to your design. Not compared with anyone else. So just be uniquely you. And the power of the Spirit will be in this place. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for that beautiful message. Next week, we don't have midweek. It's the fifth week. We'll be back in the beginning of February. No, Scotty, we don't. But we'll be back in the beginning of February uh, at Orient on the same thing. We thank you so much. Come back this weekend uh, as we end our series on Crave. Thank you so much. Have a great, great, great night. Amen.